Hey, you're listening to Clumsy Theosis, a Catholic podcast that explores topics within the Catholic faith to help us deepen our spiritual lives, own our relationship with the Lord, and strengthen His church. Hey, what's up? Welcome to the Clumsy Theosis podcast. My name is Rochelle Lucero, and I'm the host of this show. I'm so glad that you've been able to join us today because we are in the middle of a series on salvation history, which if you don't know what that is, it's exactly what it sounds like. We're talking about the history of our salvation that we read about in scripture that starts with Adam and goes all the way through until Jesus. When I think about salvation history, to me, it's very obvious that it's a story of God's presence, how he is present in human history and how he always has been since the very beginning, because he has this purpose in mind of gathering all of his children to himself, to bring us all to himself, to be part of the family of God. In every episode of this series, we go over one of the six key figures in salvation history and the covenant that they made with God and what that covenant means. And we also kind of look at a little bit of what we can learn from this covenant or these people who made this covenant with the Lord and how we can grow in relationship with him by either avoiding their mistakes or noticing that, yeah, we have that tendency that they do as well and how we can turn that over to the Lord and grow in holiness. Last week, we did that with Abraham. This week, we're talking about Moses. When we left off with Abraham, at the end of his story, he was golden. Everything was going his way. God had made him a threefold promise early on, which he had elevated each one of those three promises to a covenant at different stages in his relationship with Abraham. We do know that there were some pretty big hiccups along the way for Abraham, but in his relationship, he learned how to trust the Lord, and that is why he is now known as the father of faith. But today we're going to be talking about Moses, who we, most of us know that he was born as a Hebrew slave in Egypt. So how do we get from everything going so well for Abraham and the covenant that God made with him, promising him a great nation, a great name? and the ability to be a blessing to the world, right? How do, how do we go from Abraham and that covenant flying so high to Moses now being a slave in Egypt? Well, let's do a quick run through. Abraham's son was Isaac. Isaac's son was Jacob, who wrestled with the Lord. And by the end of that wrestling match, he was given a new name, which is Israel. He had 12 sons, okay, the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, these are the 12 sons of Israel who was previously known as Jacob. One of his 12 sons was Joseph. Now, you might be familiar with the story of Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, or I think there's even like an animated movie out now called Prince of Egypt. It talks about the story of Joseph, who is sold into slavery by his brothers because they're jealous of him and He ends up, you know, he has a lot of woes throughout his life, but he does end up in a very prestigious position in the house of Pharaoh in Egypt, all because he has this ability from God to interpret dreams. There's a seven-year-long famine that the Egyptians are actually prepared for, and uh, Israel and his 12 sons are not. They end up going to Egypt to ask for assistance, not knowing that Joseph is there. There's a family reunion and all of the 12 sons, which become the 12 tribes of Israel, end up in Egypt. 
All right, that is completely oversimplified, but that's technically all we need to know for today's purposes. Another thing that we need to know is how long they were in Egypt. Now, they were in Egypt for 400 years, which is a crazy amount of time. And you wonder, why were they there for so long? What was going on? Where's God in this picture? Okay, they were there for 400 years because God promised Abraham what? A great nation, right? A great nation is comprised of a lot of people. So for 400 years, the Israelites were growing in number. And eventually, over that 400-year period, they ended up enslaved to the Egyptians. Okay, and that's where we find Moses. He is a Hebrew slave living in the land of Egypt. When we read scripture, there are four books that concern Moses, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, only two of those books are really narrative books, like they give his story, they talk about him, and the other two books are about laws that either God gives or Moses gives. Okay, so we're not going to talk about all of the laws. We're just going to talk about the high points in the story of Moses so that we understand the covenant that God made with him and why, or the covenants, I should say, because again, this is going to get messy. There's going to be multiple covenants. Before we get into that, this is the part of the show where we have to say thank you to our donors because we all know that Clumsy Theosis is 100% listener supported. And if we don't have donors, we don't have a show. Our latest donor is Tony. So take a moment. Thank Tony with me. Thank you, Tony. And now I invite you, if you are one of those people who have found that Clumsy Theosis has been a benefit to your life, to your spiritual life, to your understanding of the faith in any way, if you would consider donating. You can become a monthly donor if you would like, and when you do that, you get merchandise and resources in return, or you can just do a one-time donation that's also available now if you have commitment issues, which I understand. I don't like to do monthly contributions to anything. I like to do it one time. That's how I roll. If that's you, that's great. Either way, all you would have to do is head over to clumsytheosis.net and then click the word donate in the menu. While you're on the website, go ahead and sign up for the weekly email. That way I can send you the episode every week so you don't miss out. Plus, I always, when there's insider information to share, I share it there first. So you learn things before the average everyday listener. But back to Moses, his four books, and some drama. All right. Many people are aware of some of the main highlight points of Moses' story, the first of which being the fact that his mom put him in a basket and then put him in the Nile River, hoping that that would spare him from being killed by Pharaoh, right? And then who is he found by? He's found by Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, who decides to raise him as her son, as a prince of Egypt. You have to remember that, because it sounds kind of far-fetched, like why would she do that? You have to remember that the Nile to Egyptians was a god. So if you receive a basket from the Nile, you think, oh, the god of the Nile has just given me the gift of a child in a basket. I must take it and raise it, right? So that's exactly what the princess did. Now, for me, growing up, the story of Moses was pretty much like 99% based on the movie, The Ten Commandments, which I actually really liked as a child, but it leaves out a lot of important details one of which is the fact that Moses' mother was actually found by the princess on purpose and brought to the palace so that she could nurse Moses and she could take care of him. So Moses knew his mother. He knew that he was Hebrew, even though he was still a prince of Egypt. When Moses grows up, 
he sees an Egyptian overseer mistreating one of his fellow Hebrews. And so he kills said Egyptian. And he does the smartest thing you could do with a body that you're trying to conceal. He buried it in the sand, right? Because the wind is not going to blow and move that sand and uncover the body of the person that you just killed, right? That's not going to happen. Okay, newsflash, it totally happened. Moses should have known better living in a desert his whole life, but okay, we all have lapses in judgment. When Moses is found out, because yeah, that's obviously going to happen, he runs away and he becomes a shepherd for 40 years until one day God decides to talk to him from the burning bush. And we read about the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. And it's this is a very important exchange, you know, in which God gives Moses his name. He says, I am, I am, or whatever translation you have. But I think this can overshadow what happens next. Moses is given a task, right? He's told to go back to Egypt and talk to Pharaoh. But what is he supposed to tell Pharaoh? Is he supposed to tell him to free all the Israelites? Not quite, not exactly. Um, What God actually says is very interesting. So starting, I think it's, let's look at my Bible here. Exodus chapter 4 verses, starting at verse 22, it says this. And you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay your firstborn son. As we've learned previously in this series, when we're talking about serving, a lot of times that refers to worship, right? So he wants the Israelites to go and to worship, right? And I guess come back to Egypt, right? He's just saying, let them go to worship. That's it. Another thing that God says here is he refers to Israel as his firstborn son. Now, who is the son of God at this point in history anyways? We know that Adam is the son of God, right? And Adam is a priest who served right in the garden. So Israel is becoming the new Adam. Israel has a priestly role, which is to serve as a son of God. So we're going to stick a pin in that idea because we're going to come back to that later or God's going to come back to that later in the story of the Israelites. Now, in the meantime, though, what's going to happen in Egypt, you see the 10 plagues, which is also known as the battle of the gods. That's not in scripture. I've just had a professor call it that because what's happening is God is battling with the Egyptian gods. So you see all those plagues that are happening with frogs and with the Nile and with the sun and the locusts. All of these things that are happening, they're attacking Egyptian gods. And the Egyptian gods were in fact actually demons, right? And so that's why they seem to have power and they seem to be gods. But when they are faced head to head with God, God is going to win all the time. So the Lord wins And the overarching reason for all of these plagues is to teach the Egyptians that their gods are false and their religion is false and to abandon that and to follow the one true God. A real quick point about the 10th plague, which was regarding the firstborns and the angel of death coming uh, for the firstborns. And this is also where we see the very first Passover meal. Okay, this was intended to redeem the firstborns. And who did God just say Israel was? Israel is the firstborn. So this is a redemptive uh, process for the Israelites, right? And so 
they have to have the Passover meal. They have to slaughter the lamb, put the blood of the lamb around their doorframe, and they have to eat the flesh of the lamb, right? This is part of the redeeming process of the firstborn son of, of God, Israel, right? After all of this, Pharaoh decides that he's going to let the Israelites go, right? And so they pack up, they leave Egypt, but of course, Pharaoh has a change of heart and he sends the Egyptians after the Israelites. And this is where we get that parting of the Red Sea scene, right? So God does another miracle to save the Israelites. And then in chapter 19 of the book of Exodus, the Israelites and Moses end up at Sinai. Now, Sinai was the original place where God spoke to Moses the first time from the burning bush. And so he's back. And now he wants further instruction from the Lord, which the Lord gladly gives him. In chapter 19 of Exodus, starting at verse 5, we read, God say this. He says, Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my own possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom a of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Right? So God is promising them that they are going to be a priestly kingdom. Okay? Now, he hasn't made the covenant with them yet, but he's about to. So in Exodus 24, God reveals himself to the Israelites in the form of there's an earthquake and a fire burning and there's just, you know, everything's covered in darkness and there's this big cloud and smoke and lightning and it's just like craziness going on. Like the power of God is on the mountain of Sinai. And Moses goes up and he receives the Ten Commandments and he comes back with them. Now the Ten Commandments are going to be family rules, household rules. Why? Because God is a father and Israel is his firstborn son. And this is the way that the family is going to treat each other. The first three commandments are how the firstborn son of God, Israel, is going to relate to the father. Okay. And then commandments four through 10 are how the brothers and sisters in Israel, how they are going to relate and behave towards each other. And then we get the covenant-making act. All right, so Moses builds an altar at the base of Sinai, and then he reads out the commandments to the people, and all of the people are very emphatic, and they say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, right? They're, they're excited about this. They're on board, or at least they seem like they are. So Moses has a bowl of blood, and he splashes it against the altar, and then he sprinkles the other half onto the Israelites. So now the altar, which is, you know, for God, the blood on the altar and the blood on the Israelites is the same blood, which means that they now ha they're now sharing the same blood, means they are family, okay? We saw something similar to this with the covenant with Abraham, remember? And then in verse 8 of chapter 24, Moses says, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you. And then shortly after that, the elders go up with Moses on the mountain, and they have a meal together. And this mountain is where God is dwelling, right? So they are dwelling with God and having a meal together. So God is hanging out with his children. And when was the last time we saw this happen? You know, God just kind of hanging out, kind of casual-like with his children. That was back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Okay, so now Israel is the new Adam. It's the new firstborn son. There, you're going to see that God wants to have this, this constant 
communion, this constant um, way of just being together. And so they're going to need a place to do that because they don't have the Garden of Eden anymore. And right now, the Israelites are on the move to the promised land, right? They're not there yet. So what they're going to need is something that is going to be portable that can go with them as they go to the promised land. And that's where we get the tabernacle or the tent of meeting in which the tabernacle dwells within, right? And God's going to give Moses the instructions for this. So in order to get the instructions, Moses has to go back up the mountain. Okay, so he's been going up and down this mountain a lot. So he's back up on this mountain getting the instructions for the tabernacle. And apparently he's gone for too long. I don't know. But the Israelites are really restless and they revert to idol worship and they create the golden calf. And this is in Exodus 32. And it says in verse 6 of this chapter, it says that they they ate, they drank, and then they rose up to play. And this right here is actually very scandalous. You know, they weren't playing checkers or dominoes. I'll tell you that right now. What they were doing was very scandalous because this was idol worship. And in idol worship, there was a lot of scandalous things going on in these pagan, basically kind of demon worship ceremonies. All right. So Moses comes down highly upset, which very understandable. He smashes the tablet and then he turns to his own people, his own tribe, which are the Levites. And they enact martial law and they go around and they slay all of the ringleaders of this rebellion, all of these people who were really adamant about this idol worship of the golden calf. These Levites are commended as being courageous. And so Moses makes them priests over all of Israel. Okay, this is important because up until this point, the head of every household was considered a priest. Okay, they were all priests of their household, but now they obviously can't handle that responsibility. That responsibility is now moved over and only given to the tribe of Levi. This golden calf incident does not just piss off Moses. It also, and more importantly, it destroys the first covenant that God just made with the Israelite people, right? The covenant's broken. So Moses returns to the Lord to beg him and to plead with him to restore the covenant. And God agrees to restore the covenant. And so this is going to be referred to as the second Sinai covenant or the Levitical covenant, which I'll explain that in just a minute. But when God restores this covenant, it's not going to be as good as the first covenant, which was basically just the Ten Commandments right? That's all God wanted was for the people to obey his commands. And he says just that, obey my voice. That's all he wants in in this covenant relationship with Israel. But, But as we've seen in the past, like with the covenant with Adam and the covenant with Noah, because of man's sinfulness, when God makes his covenant with Noah now, he has to make adjustments to how he originally had structured the first covenant with Adam, right? Because now sin has entered the world. Man isn't capable of living up to certain standards. That's kind of basically what's happening now because the Israelites has proven that they have not left their idolatrous ways in the past. They now need more purification. They need more rules to make sure they don't fall in those ways again. And so in this covenant, it's not going to be as good as the first, which I said, you know, it was very basic in in, in the first Sinai covenant. Now there's going to be a lot more rules. And when I say a lot more rules, I mean a whole book of rules, the book of Leviticus to be exact. 
The whole book of Leviticus exists because of the golden calf incident. It took one whole year for Moses to get all of those um, rules together and in the book. And so the Israelites are hanging out at Sinai while all of this is happening. And then they get to continue their journey onto the promised land, but all because of the golden calf. So throughout the book of Exodus, we're reading about Israel being led out of Egypt, right? They're being freed from slavery, but are they really free, right? In their hearts, not so much. Obviously, the golden calf has showed us that much. And another thing that the golden calf is responsible for is the introduction of uh, animal sacrifice in the liturgical worship of Israel, because this wasn't part of the first covenant. It only appears now after the golden calf. And the, the church fathers are unanimous about this, saying that it's just a concession that God gave them because the golden calf showed God that they obviously weren't going to get rid of this pagan sacrifice from their life. And I love how St. John Chrysostom says it because he's so straightforward. He says, you are all eager and avid for sacrifice. If sacrifice you must, then sacrifice to me. That is what he says the sentiment God had towards the Israelites. The book of Leviticus is essentially supposed to have a penitential purpose, which means that it's, it's supposed to teach and to restore spiritual health to the Israelites. The same way that when we go to confession, we receive penance, and those are intended to teach us and to restore us also to spiritual health. All right, now we've covered Exodus and Leviticus, and then the next book is Numbers, and that's when you're going to read about the Israelites wandering in the wilderness for 40 years on their way to the Promised Land. Now, in reality, it should have only taken them max a couple of weeks to get from Sinai to the Promised Land. But you know what? They kept rebelling. There was actually nine rebellions in total, and this was actually very problematic. Why? Because the role of worldwide blessing that Israel is supposed to have, right, the descendants of Abraham are supposed to bring worldwide blessing, right, that is the the role and the prerogative of the firstborn son of God, which Israel is the firstborn son, right? That comes with responsibilities. And every time they rebelled, they showed that they were not up for that responsibility, right? How could they f fulfill their responsibility when they can't even follow God's commands? So they're not ready for the promised land. And that's because they're not ready to fulfill the role of the firstborn son to be a worldwide blessing. Interestingly enough, though, they actually get to the promised land, which is Canaan, and they don't take it, right? So 12 spies of Israel were sent to Canaan to check out the situation, and then they come back and they're like, no, there's no way we could, we could overtake them, blah, 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 and they chicken out. Okay, and so this they're proving that they do not trust God because God is basically saying, it is yours for the taking. I'm going to give it to you but they don't trust God. And so they break their trust with God and Moses has to plead on their behalf again. And God agrees to take them back. But what he says is that this current generation of adults, they are not going to see the promised land, right? Because they don't trust him. Now, is God like trying to be vindictive in this punishment of them? No. What he's basically saying is, all right, they are proving once again that they cannot handle their responsibility 
that comes with inheriting the promised land, right? Because the promised land isn't a reward in itself. It it implies that there's duty to do, right? And they, they're not up for that task. So it is the second generation that will be able to enter the promised land. That means they're going to be wandering around the desert until this second generation is old enough to enter into that inheritance, right? And it does look like it's going pretty well for this second generation. Um, they even are blessed by the prophet Balaam. I think that's how you say his name, right? Things are looking pretty good for them. But in Numbers 24, they fall into pagan worship, just like their parents did. While they're in Beth Peor, they worship the local pagan gods there. And, you know, just like we saw before with the golden calf, when there's pagan worship, God realizes, okay, you guys need some more guidance. You need some more help staying on the straight and narrow and not worshiping false gods. So I'm going to give them to you. And that is where we get Deuteronomy from. Deuteronomy comes from that second act of um, idol worship in Numbers 24. Deuteronomy literally means second law. I don't know if I just said that or not. Anyways, it was given 40 years after the first law was given at Sinai. But this time, instead of God speaking to his people, God is only speaking to Moses. Moses is the only one that can hear him now because they have turned their backs on God so much that God does not speak to them anymore. He only talks to Moses as an intermediary. And so Moses is going to be preaching throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Really, it's just a 34 chapters long uh, sermon. It's a grumpy sermon at that. Like he's upset and he's reminding them of all of their sins and he's repeating the laws of the covenant and he's also adding more. Later on, Jesus tells us that these new laws that are in Deuteronomy, these new laws are given because of the hardness of their hearts. All right. So so this tells us this wasn't God's original plan. You know, all the laws in Deuteronomy, all the laws in Leviticus, for him, it was ideally going to be the Ten Commandments. Basically, that was going to be the covenant that he made with Israel. However, Israel wasn't able to obey his voice. God, on the other hand, was merciful, and he did restore his covenant multiple times with Israel. And to this day, what we read in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, that's the final law of the covenant for Israel. With the Israelites today, we've seen a theme of idolatry, which really reveals something even deeper, which is bondage, slavery, and how the interior is what enslaves a man. And even though the Israelites were physically freed from Egypt, they were physically no longer slaves. Interiorly, they still were not free. They were still in bondage. They were still slaves. And so this week, I invite you to think about that during your time of prayer. And as you try to struggle through your first full week of your Lenten practices, whatever your prayer, fasting, and almsgiving is going to look like this this Lent, keep note, especially in this first week, keep note of where you're struggling. And that's going to clue you in to where your heart is not free. And If you're not free in those areas, you're not really able to give them to the Lord. And so this is a great opportunity to identify them, to ask him to assist you with finding freedom there. And I'm going to be doing the same thing. So I'm going to keep you in prayer. And I'm going to ask that you would do the same for me. We're entering Lent and we can all do with a lot more prayers during this season. 
Next week, get excited. We're talking about King David. And then after that, it's Jesus. All right. So we're almost done with this series. I hope you're enjoying it so far. In the meantime, until our next episode, you can find me online, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest at Clumsy Theosis. Message me if you feel so inclined. I love to hear from you and how you're doing and what God's doing in your life. All right. Until next week. Peace out. Thank you for tuning in to Clumsy Theosis. I'm so happy that you've been able to hang out. If you want to learn more about Clumsy Theosis, you are more than welcome to visit my website, clumsytheosis.net. From clumsytheosis.net, you will also be able to contact me if you're interested in booking me as a speaker or if you're just feeling generous and you'd like to make a donation. Remember that together we can transform the world by letting the Lord transform us.